everybody, and welcome to episode 642 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio, and I am your writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'm welcoming you to week one of Nosferatu November 2023, where we're going to be doing a month of nothing but vampire movie discussion here on the show. I'm super stoked to kick this off with an old friend of mine that would be Dominique Lamsey. She's a fellow author, a fellow monster kid, a fellow creative, and a fellow fan of the movie Blackula. That's the movie we're talking about this week here on the show. Of course, you're hearing some surf music behind me. That song is called Vampire Wipeout Nosferatu Returns. It is from the band J Poison and the Bat People. It's from their album Night of the Bat People that just was released earlier this week. Brand new album. Go check them out at jpoisonandthebatpeople.bandcamp.com. Check out the entire album, Night of the Bat People, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. But don't do it yet. Wait until you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Or if you're good at multitasking, I guess you can just do it now. Whatever. I'm not the boss. You do what you want. You're your own person. Anyway. Check out the music. Big thanks to them for letting us play their music here on the show. You'll hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode. This episode is, I mean, something I've been wanting to do for a while. I've been wanting to kick off a themed month for a little while here on the show. I haven't done one in a little while, I feel like. And, you know, we're going to talk about vampire movies. I love me some vampire movies, and I love me some Blackula. So we're going to talk about Blackula today, and yeah, I think it's a good one to kick off Nosferatu November with. Also this week here on the show, of course, we're going to get a couple of segments from some awesome segment producers. We've got Mark Batsky's Beta Capsule Review, where he's going to take us through another episode of The Return of Ultraman. And Kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland. We're going to find out how that iconic magazine covered the movie Blackula. So we've got all of that coming up in this episode. Let's get into it right about now. coffin hasn't been built that can hold him. Dr. Fives rises again. Fives! Wait! <laughs> Dr. Fives rises again in an even more startling motion picture with a whole new gallery of gruesome gimmicks of torture and murder. See the scorpions embrace. <laughs> the eagles caress. No! No! The sausage machine. See Dr. Fives outduel his enemies with the most diabolical devices ever created. See Dr. Fives Rises Again, starring Vincent Price as the menacing Fives and Robert Quarry as the evil Biderbeck. Dr. Fives Rises Again, all new from American International Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Dr. Fives Rises Again. <laughs> Ichiro's legs flew into the air. His tiger-striped board sailed over his head, and a wall of blue water crashed down on him, trying to crush the air out of his lungs. For a moment, he found himself head down in the water column, with a surge of the wave pushing him toward the azure depths below. 
Somehow, he managed to hold on to the GoPro during the wipeout, but now the camera clenched in his fist kept him from easily righting himself. As he writhed in the deep, a dark shape loomed up out of the blue. In Monster Shark on a Nude Beach, a shy marine biologist must up his game and stop a series of shark attacks at the Caribbean's most famous clothing optional playground. Award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan brings you this sexy, action-packed summer read, perfect for fans of The Meg and Jaws. Read three chapters free on Amazon. Find out more at buffbeach.com or sdsullivan.com. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 35, Cruel Light Monster Prisma, original air date December 3rd, 1971. Lighthouses and ships are vanishing at sea after coming into contact with a rolling bank of fog. Go begins an investigation independent of Captain Ibiki, who's off at a conference, and with Ken Sakata's help, determines that mainland Japan is next to be threatened. While returning from his meeting, Ibuki rescues a disfigured survivor from the ocean who speaks of a blinding flash he calls a white demon. The sailor is hospitalized, but appears to have vanished from his room until it's determined that his body was somehow converted into a crystal. This is a precursor to the arrival of a giant crystalline figure which Go and Ken observe zapping another lighthouse. Unbeknownst to the two men Jiro has stowed away, naming the glowing figure Prisma, moments before it attacks. The Sakatas flee in their car, but Prisma is drawn to the vehicle's headlights. Go intervenes, escaping death by transforming into Ultraman, but Prisma is a foe unlike he has ever seen, able to manipulate light with ease, even attempting to siphon Ultraman's energy at one point. Prisma withdraws and Monster Attack Team hatches a plan to lure the object to a stadium using the grandstand lights. It works, but their freeze bombs are not as effective as hoped, leading to a rematch between Prisma and Ultraman. Episode 35 offers a welcome change of pace after two thematically heavy stories. Cruel Light Monster Prisma instead emphasizes action and spectacle, beginning with the monster of the title. Prisma's angular glowing design with accompanying aurora borealis and ethereal, almost choral sound cues conveys a truly alien presence that far surpasses some of the less developed kaiju in the series. Ultraman makes two major appearances in this episode, which is always appreciated, and it just seems like the production team had a lot of fun figuring out how many shots could interpolate a reflected image, refracted light, lens flares, you name it. The creative juices were flowing for the 35th episode, and the results are brilliant. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting.
there's a vampire picture you can really get your teeth into. The return of Count Yorga. A vampire lover returns from the dead to seek a mate from the living. One never knows when he might encounter some of the more unusual truths that exist in this world. See the return of Count Yorga in color rated GP. Bernie Casey is Dr. Black. Hiya, Doc. No, you can't try that term on a human. A monster he could not control had taken over his very soul. A screaming demon rages inside, turning him into Mr. Hyde. This is no nightmare, Doctor. You're real. Super strong, supernatural, and super bad. That's a cross between the abominable snowman and Willie the werewolf. Indestructible. Nothing can stop it. Not bombs, bullets, or bulldozers. No man alive could take that guy. But he's on his feet when he hits the street. Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. His victim thinks she's tricked him, but she hasn't a prayer when he leaps through the air. Shot full of lead and he still ain't dead. In a moment, you look like me. Dr. Black and Mr. Hat. Jump out, Jack, for your skull is cracked. The ball flies are trying, but their bodies keep flying. The dude stood tall till his butt hit the wall. When the boys go rushing, Mr. Hyde starts crushing. The crowd is hushing as the blood comes gushing. There's a heel behind the wheel when Hyde takes his ride. No man can survive when he shifts in the drive. It ain't no jive trying to stay alive. Silky won't revive from his final nosedive. Brother man. This situation is rapidly becoming insalubrious. From the first burst to the last blast, it's Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, starring Bernie Casey, Rosalind Cash, Stu Gillum, directed by William Blackyella Crane. Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Blood is red. Voodoo is blue. Sugar is sweet. Revenge is sweeter. I'm passing seconds. Meet Sugar Hill. No, please. Not a place, but a brand new face. My friends call me Sugar. The foxiest. Looking for anything special? Sexiest. Deadliest chicken town. The mob took Sugar's man away. And now, she's gonna make them pay. I want them dead. With a voodoo priestess called Mama Matrace. I know what you can do. The power you possess. How strong is your hate? And Baron Samdi, too. My particular special. A drink that I'm famous for. The zombie. This is my domain, a kingdom of the dead. And an army of undead behind her. Each death has had something to do with voodoo ritual. There's nothing that sugar can't do. Use it. 
The mob has never seen anything like Sugar Hill and her zombie hitmen. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's movie is Blackula, which was covered in FM 95 from January of 1973. It was a five-page article with five pictures. It started with a detailed synopsis of the first 30 minutes, then ended with these notes. The film has barely begun. The game's afoot, the bats are a wing, and Blackula does his thing for another hour or more of horror. Dr. Donald A. Reed, founder and president of the Count Dracula Society, at a special preview screening of Blackula, declared it to be one of the most frightening vampire pictures of all time. Star William Marshall is a distinguished Shakespearean actor who has appeared in such fantasy plays as Peter Pan and the Green Pastures. You may remember him as Yugal, the genie in Sabu and the Magic Ring. Appropriately, he has also acted in the play When We Dead Awaken. You've seen him on TV in episodes of Star Trek, Tarzan, Hitchcock Presents, and The Man from Uncle. Vonette McGee, the woman Blackula loves, has appeared in a female film version of Faust, Faustina. Gordon Pensent, the detective lieutenant, was the president of the United States in Colossus the Forbin Project. The latest actor to depict Count Dracula is Charles McCauley. Lance Taylor Sr., the mortician, appeared in Frogs. Ron Pennington appears in the sci-fi film Punishment Park and in Terror from the Stars. And Elisha Cook Jr. celebrates his 51st year in his acting career. Famous Monsters 103, from December of 1973, featured an interview with Blackula himself, William Marshall. Here is what he had to say when asked about his favorite film roles. The first one, Lydia Bailey. The nature of the role was unique and representative of the effort on the part of the Haitian people at that time to liberate themselves. It was stunningly new for Hollywood to have dealt with that subject matter. Secondly, I would say Blackula. Despite having been in the entertainment industry for more than 20 years, that is the first film I have made wherein I portrayed the leading figure. However, I feel my work as an actor was better in the second one, Scream Blackula Scream, because the tasks and demands were greater. But in the sequel, he has no one to love, and nobody loves him. I've come to like Blackula and his struggle. I preferred the first one because it did have a freshness about it that was to some degree pleasantly startling for most viewers, and it was fun in many instances. It also included in part the Rip Van Winkle concept of the man who has been sleeping for over 150 years to wake up in the 20th century and find himself a vampire, which was quite contrary to his wishes or the reason for his mission in the beginning, to do something about putting an end to the infamous slave trade. The irony was that he became himself enslaved. Blackula is the only vampire I am aware of who is not enjoying his drinks. There was one scene of great value in Blackula that I fought very hard to have included in the story. It was when Blackula arrives at Luva's apartment. He's trying to explain to her who he is. I wasn't satisfied with the original scene. 
It was so unconvincing and mechanical, and I felt it didn't enhance the film. So I did some writing. I was trying to make it very clear how important this woman was to him. That it wasn't her beauty alone, or that she was the reincarnation of his wife and his thinking, but that she represented Africa to him. The embodiment of all that he had lost and could not return to. There was some description of the African belt and of him as a hunter and other aspects of Africa and its splendor. The sun that he loved so and couldn't go out in lest he perish. It was very brief and I think well done, but even though it was filmed, it was snipped out and left on the cutting room floor, perhaps because it was just talk and no biting. One of the highlights of the interview is included next when Mr. Marshall worked with King Karloff. Mr. Karloff was playing in the dual roles of Captain Hook and Mr. Darling in Barry's timeless fantasy, Peter Pan. After auditioning, I was hired to play the Black Pirate, but I shocked the director by stating that after due process of audition, etc., I would like to be considered for Mr. Karloff's understudy. The man's toupee did a pirouette. After some stammering and other visible signs of discomfort, he said, I sense there is an appreciable difference between you and Mr. Karloff. He ventured that I was surely at least six foot five, and he knew that Mr. Karloff was only about six foot two. I was too tall, or Boris Karloff was too short. The cost of an additional costume for you as Hook makes it prohibitive, he said. I'm sorry. I approached the producer. He told the director that as far as complexions were concerned, if that was his objection, I was closer to Boris Karloff's coloring than anyone else in the show. Mr. Karloff had a touch of jaundice, and he sat under a sun lamp and became red-brown. Very handsome, I thought. When Mr. Karloff was consulted about my being his understudy, he thought it was a fine idea. After an audition with seven other candidates, William Marshall was chosen to understudy Boris Karloff for the Captain Hook part of his assignment. Boris Karloff was in excellent physical condition, in far better shape, in fact, than any of us in our early 20s. He kept himself fit, and I'm sure he went into regular training periods, as any actor should if he's serious about his craft. In Peter Pan, he had to fight a strenuous duel with Peter. No one ever expected him to miss a performance, and I never expected the opportunity would arrive to go on for him. Then one Saturday, just before the matinee, he arrived at the theater but felt ill, and I did play Captain Hook for two performances. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. I've got Abby! What do you think of my powers now? American International presents Abby. The story of a woman possessed. She took the devil for a lover, and he possessed her body and soul. <coughs> Abby, a story of terror, lust, and exorcism. Grab her arms and hold her. Abby, starring William Marshall as the exorcist. I command you to vacate this body now. And Carol Speed as Abby. Can anyone stop her? Can anyone help her?
Can anyone save her soul? I'm God, Abby! Abby, the story of a woman possessed. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Who dares touch these rotting bones? Who dares call forth the most horrible specter of the day? Now he's back. The Black Prince of Darkness, Blackula. Recalled by the awesome powers of voodoo to stalk the earth in a new quest for blood. Blackula. Dracula's soul brother. Obsessed with vengeance. Craving young bodies. Lusting for hot blood to create new victims for the legions of the undead. I believe in that eyes. Good. That gives you something of an edge over the rest. William Marshall, again as the Lord of the Vampires in a relentless search for Pam Grier, the exciting star of Coffee. I need you! Now he is back. Ever more evil, ever more fearful than ever before. The name is Blackula! Scream, Blackula, scream. The bloodiest legend of our time. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited, and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited monster kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. All right, listeners, it's been a long time since I've had her on the show, and it's been way too long since I've actually spent time with her, but she's in a different part of the country now, so that makes it impossible to hang out with Dominique Lamsey's unless it's on Skype, and we're talking about a movie here on the podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Been too long. It's been way too long. Way too long. What what is life like for uh, Dominique Lamsey's uh, the lover and, and hugger of all monsters? <laughs> <laughs> Monster life is good right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're we're recording this what the day before Halloween, so yeah, monster life is good. And you are back up and running. It looks like with making some of your monsters available for new homes. Yes, we are now on Facebook. Where can people find that? If you just go to Facebook and search for House of Silent Graves. House of Silent Graves. Dominique's also an author, and I'll make sure some of the short story collections that she's appeared in are listed on the website, so you can follow the links over at monsterkidradio.net and catch up with Dominique if you uh, need a little bit more Dominique in your life after you're done hearing she and I talk about a really cool vampire movie uh, that, uh, you know, I thought this would be a good one to kick off Nosferatu November here on the show. We're going to be taking a look at a movie Outside of the traditional time period for MKR, we're actually dipping into the 70s. A 1972 film called 
Blackula. It's a good one. I don't know if it's fair to say it's my favorite black exploitation horror film, but it's pretty darn close. For me, it's it's honestly, actually, it's probably number three. Number um, three, okay. It's number three because number two is Scream Blackula Scream. I actually think Scream Blackula Scream is better than the first Blackula. And my first favorite is Sugar Hill, which you just talked about on another podcast. Yeah, on the uh, Classic Horrors Club podcast. Yeah, with Rich and Jeff, you were talking about it with them over there. And I agree. I love Scream, Blackula Scream. I actually think I like that one a little bit better, too. But this one, you know, but that would make this my number three, wouldn't it? Because I love Sugar Hill, too. <laughs> you know what? It's in my top five. Yeah, okay. It's in my top three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We are in agreement on that. It is an important one, though, I think. When you think exploitation horror, this is the one that comes to mind. Part of it's because it's just got the greatest title ever. But it's also got some really cool performances and the production design and the music and the direction. It's all really just neat. Uh, I really dig it. It's just a well-made movie. It really is. You remember the first time you saw it? Um. Thor, how you first experienced it? Not precisely, but it's clicking in my head that it was like a Turner Classic Movies thing around Halloween. Okay. Because I want to say I actually saw Blackula and Count Yorga, like, basically at the same time. Like, they showed a bunch of AIP stuff one night, and I recorded it all and sat and watched it. That sounds like a pretty cool double feature, to be honest. Right, though? I mean, they share footage. I guess they do, don't they? Both Mama Waldi and Yorga, like, come on the same ship to LA and get driven by the same truck. That's a crossover I want to see. Can we create like a Yorga, Blackula shared universe kind of thing? Everybody keeps bagging on crossovers with Yorga, and I'm always going to want more Yorga. Put them against Fives, put them against Blackula. I don't care. Just give me more Yorga. Yes, yes. I do like Count Yorga as well. I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I'll just have to add it to the list of things to watch again. Because <laughs> there's not enough movies on that list anyway, you know. But no, Blackula, oh, yeah, you never. know, for me... I don't remember the first time I saw it either. Uh, it's one that I'm sure I just rented on DVD, maybe even picked up from Netflix at one point. And I just remember grinning from ear to ear because this dude that was on Star Trek is now running around playing Dracula, and I loved it. Or playing kind of Dracula, and I loved it. For me, it was like, I learned later that he was on Pee Wee Herman, so I'm wondering like how many Pee Wee Herman people come to this movie and being all like, oh my god. I'm like totally freaking. <laughs> it's the king of cartoons, man. Dude, he's a vampire. God, he's got such a great voice. Oh my God, he has such a great voice. His screen presence is phenomenal. I have to admit that I don't know much about him and I haven't seen very many things with him. But the few things that I have, just he's just charismatic. I might take some plaque for this, but he genuinely reminds me of Christopher Lee. Wow. He's got that bearing. He's got that screen presence. So I was actually lucky enough to see the movie Abby on the big screen. Okay. Uh, with one of the producers in attendance. Um, and he was talking about how they wrote the script and they sent it to William Marshall and he read it. And then he shows up at the producer's office with a huge stack of books about African religion and African magic and tells the producer guy, read these and rewrite the script and then we'll do it. And that was just like, he's Christopher Lee. He's walking around with a bunch of like weird occult books trying to get people to read them. He's Christopher Lee. That is a very Christopher Lee thing to do. <laughs> uh, 
That really is. Abby, I wanted to see that. And that was when you were up here in the Portland area. Because I remember they did yeah. that at the Hollywood Theater. And I just I didn't get a chance to go. I really wanted to. Abby is basically the Black Quotation Exorcist film, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see it. I really wanted to. And one of these days I'm going to have to track down Abby and watch it because I hear it's just really, really good uh, and, and bizarre and interesting in all the best ways. But again, we're talking about stuff that... <laughs> Let's have you on to talk about Blackula. Yeah, it's our okay. third favorite Black Lutation War. And uh, let's talk about Abby for a few minutes. Wow. <laughs> uh, William Marshall, fantastic voice. And I had forgotten how good the rest of the cast is in this. When I sat down to watch it, and I just finished re-watching it a few minutes ago, I had forgotten just how good the rest of the cast is. Uh, I really liked uh, Vanetta McGee as Tina. Uh, and I really, really liked... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but the guy who played Dr. Thomas, Dr. Gordon Thomas, Thalmas Rezulala, he is fantastic. And I wish there were more Dr. Thomas stories out there in the world. I would have loved to watch more with him. Yeah, despite like not knowing what scientific investigation division he's part of. Yes, I'm down with that. <laughs> so Beth came in and watched like the last two thirds of this movie with me. And I was telling her, well, you know, he's a cop. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's not a cop. He's a doctor. So he's a coroner? Well, not really, because the guy who, you know, was the voice of Piglet was the coroner. So, you know, it's <laughs> Ledger Cook Jr. He, he's the coroner. So he's not the coroner. So what, what is his role? I, it doesn't matter. He's Dr. Thomas and he fights vampires. And he brings his white cop friend along for the ride. And I love it. Is much put upon white cop friend. I just, I love my guy's attitude. Oh my God, really? Every step of the way, really? <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Peterson, you know, he does eventually kind of play ball. You know, that's one of the things that I love about this movie, actually, is that once Dr. Thomas finally gets Lieutenant Peters over to the coroner's office and shows him the vampires, like, oh, okay, well, I guess we do have vampires. Let's start looking for that coffin. There's none of this, well, vampires aren't real. Clearly something didn't, you know, really happened the way that it looks like it happened, that sort of thing. And that's something that I appreciate about a lot of these movies I've been watching lately here on the show. Once somebody's finally shown proof, their brain just accepts it and they move on. Uh, you know, I just showed Beth The Return of the Vampire, and once the characters are finally shown proof that there's a vampire, they just accept it and they move on, and now we can get to the rest of the story. There's not a lot of wasted time trying to disprove whether or not there's a vampire. Was it really real? Did I just imagine it? That sort of thing. It's just like, oh, okay. I guess there is a vampire. Let's look for the coffin. We'll swamp this city with cops. And I appreciate that. And I don't know if that's a, a 70s thing or like in the 80s, we became so distrustful of things that we are, that, that, that kind of shifted in a lot of these movies. I don't know what that is. Well, I also think it might just be a plot thing. Because you notice that in the movies where they tend to like, oh, no, I don't really believe what I'm seeing. They're trying to like wring every ounce of tension out of it. They possibly can. Even when it's like, you're being stupid, accept it and move on. And it feels like almost the ones like Blackula where, you know, the skeptics suddenly realize this is real and we just move forward and fix it. Have like a cleaner story. If you know what I mean. Yeah. That makes sense. I could see that. There is tension in this, but it does seem to yeah. rely a lot on jump scares as well. So maybe that's part of it too. 
is that we're not really drawing out a ton of tension. Sure, there's some tension when they're finally at the morgue and they're trying to find where Sam ended up and they pull the sheet back and, oh no, suddenly there's a vampire, but it's a jump scare there at that point. And I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it that way, I suppose. I also think because Blackula is later, it does more of the action type stuff, which is where the jump scares come from and chasing Blackula all over the abandoned chemical factory that you can somehow get in and nobody knows why. Um, <laughs> but because I also think for me, one of the reasons I like Blackula is it's more story focused, I guess. And it's more like him trying to find his girlfriend again. Like, okay, okay, I'm just going to say it. Everybody knew I was going to say it eventually. I say this all the time. Everybody's sick of hearing me say it. But Blackula is just dark shadows. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's a corollary thing of dark shadows. It's the most dark shadows thing that's not actually dark shadows. And it strikes me that that's a very dark shadows thing where you're putting the, the heart and the human emotion center foremost. Instead of, you know, the scare, the, the tension, and all of that kind of stuff. Which means that to basically make it a horror movie, you kind of have to insert the jump scares. To actually give the horror people the goods. I should have known better than to expect you to not bring up Dark Shadows, of course. <laughs> Especially because uh, you're right. I've mentioned it to you multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I hadn't really thought about it in this context this time around. But yeah, it is very Dark Shadow-centric. This is a very Dan Curtis thing, right? Bringing in the long-lost love story with the vampire Dracula story or Barnabas story or Blackula story. It's it's something that, yeah, we might have had glimpses of or tastes of in various vampire movies before this. I mean, even going back to Dracula and Lucy and Mina and all that stuff, right? But Dan Curtis really puts uh, the lost love, the forgotten love, the the time uh, crossed lover kind of thing more into the forefront. And yeah, so you totally see that in this as well. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I, it actually goes kind of a step further than that because basically uh, the Mama Waldi Luba and Mama Waldi Tina plot lines are pretty much the exact same plot line as Barnabas and Maggie. Only like much shorter. It's basically the same thing. He like yeah. almost kidnaps her. He's gaslighting her into thinking she's somebody she's not. I mean, yeah. And it, it makes the character of Mama Waldy kind of complicated because you really want to like him, but he's also kind of a gaslighting butthead. You know, and that's the thing about this movie too is that it starts out, you're really kind of rooting for this guy. He tells Dracula, let's get rid of the slave trade. Well, we all want to get rid of that, right? We're y'all... We don't want that. That's a good thing to want. Yeah. But then he turns into this guy, and it's not his fault. He gets vampirized, you know, I guess. He gets vamped, and it's not his fault. But he could have used those vampire powers for good, you know? Yeah, again, like Barnabas, he made bad decisions once he became a vampire. So it makes it difficult to look at this in a, in a black and white kind of way, like vampire bad. Yeah. But... He's also anti-slavery, and that's good, right? So I don't, yeah, it's it's tough. I actually kind of think that's one of the reasons William Marshall liked playing it, because it's not a simple character. He was a complicated character. 
and he does pour more into this. He he really does pour some real uh, emotion and pathos into this character, and is makes it difficult to decide are we rooting for him or not. And I think that's that's pretty obvious when you look at what Marshall's doing. That he did care about this character more than say Lee did towards the end of his Dracula run. Yeah, exactly. I think he had something he wanted to do with this character. You kind of almost, like, you understand where Mama Waldi's coming from. Maybe you don't condone it, but, like, he wakes up 200 years later. He has no idea what's going on, and he sees the one thing from his past that he can relate to, and he just glomps onto it. And it's, you know, him trying to regain his past and the woman he loved. Because there's, there's no doubt, there's no doubt at any point that Mama Waldi loved Leela. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's just like, it's, he's, he goes about it in such a bad way. But he doesn't know any better because he's, the, the vampire thing in his head has screwed everything up. But he's not doing it for a bad reason, but he's going about it in a bad way. And yeah, this, this, this is a really, it's, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting take on it. You've made the argument in the past uh, on various Facebook posts and things like that um, where you've talked about like your your favorite Draculas or your top Draculas and you've always included Blackula in your list of top Draculas and I've always wondered about that because he's clearly not Dracula, right? Okay. But but you've included him in your list of like favorite Draculas over the years and I've wondered why because he's not a Dracula. Technically, he's not a Dracula. In practice, in spirit, he is a Dracula. Because of the lost love thing, or, or how, how do you say? How do you figure? He's a vampire king. He's descended from okay. ability, and he was trying. He was trying to use his power to, to end the slave trade, but it was still trying to use his power. So it's just. To me, it's, and also just acting-wise, William Marshall acts the same way that every actor who's played Dracula before and since has. And I feel like the only reason this is called Blackula is to play up the exploitation aspect of it, when they could have really just called it, like, Dracula, moved on. And, like, because I, I know a lot of people like to argue that Dracula was the king, and you know, he mm-hmm. was. But you also could have just sort of taken that out and had him become a vampire another way, and it would have, he just, he just would have been Dracula. I don't necessarily think you're wrong, uh, and you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong approach here. I've just been curious about it, because you've always been so adamant about saying this guy is Dracula, and even though, you know, he's not. Uh, there is a Dracula at the beginning, and I'm glad that there's a Dracula at the beginning, and I love that that moment because it does give us everything to kind of build off of the anti-slave trade, and, you know, he is cursed. He's as much a victim of Dracula as he makes everybody else a victim of him later, and I do appreciate that, and like I said, it does kind of hang the character on an interesting hook for us to explore the movie and enjoy the movie in, but you're right. It is kind of tacked on there at the beginning to justify calling the movie Blackula, which is just a great name. I mean, they're trying to play into the black exploitation market. So, Blackula is perfect. It's probably the best example of a name for a black exploitation horror film outside of Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. <laughs> yeah, as a name, Blackula is awesome. 
I mean, I love Blackenstein. Blackenstein's great, but, you know, in terms of like the name, having that opening bit, it does seem to be a kind of a clunky way to assign the name so we can get away with it and just move on. We didn't need it to enjoy the movie, I don't think. It could have been just any other thing. It. I honestly don't think it would have actually changed the rest of the movie if we didn't have it. But I actually, I really, I really do love that that scene because it it puts such an interesting spin on everything. Because I love, well, first of all, there's the subtleties of like you watch through the scene, and like every time Luva looks at Dracula, no matter how polite and how nice Mama Waldy is trying to be, Luva just looks at him and she gives him side eye and has this total like "you are trash" expression on mm-hmm. her face. Like, the whole time, she knows where this is going. She knows what's going to happen, which I thought was just hilarious and just brilliant on the part of uh, Lynette McGee. <laughs> I also love, basically, like, Mama Waldy doesn't know he's doing it, but bringing up the barbarity of the slave trade to a vampire is actually really, really funny. It's really funny, it is. <laughs> What, what was really interesting for me in this part was Dracula bites Mama Waldi and then he puts this curse on him. And the curse the curse that he puts on is kind of weird because it's like, I know I am a monster. And I'm just, I'm just a monster, so I'm making you a monster. He openly admits, like Dracula is saying, I am trash. I am a monster. And he, I mean, we all know Dracula's okay with that. That's kind of Dracula. Mm-hmm. But then what he does, this, it's kind of weird because he, he gives, he makes Mama Waldi a vampire. And essentially what he's doing is he's giving Mama Waldi the power that he has as a vampire. And then he locks him in the cloth. So Blackula's punishment isn't becoming a vampire even though he would have to hurt people, which he doesn't like to do, his punishment is to be given this power and not allowed to use it. It's a very it's a very weird power dynamic of, I have the power and I'm giving you power, but you can't use it. And to me, that's punishment because I, I do everything I do for power, you know? Mm-hmm. It does make a lot of sense, especially in context of what they were talking about and why Dracula was so upset with Black to begin with Mama Waldi to begin with, uh, when you look yeah. at that being the result of the conversation of Mama Waldi asking him to end the slave trade, cursing him to be, yeah, exist without being able to exist. You, you are unable to function, but you cannot die. You, you, your existence is worthless, is pointless at this point. Uh, I, something I hadn't really thought about the implications of until just now, but that makes perfect sense. And it is so terrifying to think about really. Uh, that, that just sounds awful to be in that position. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, sh- you shall pay black prince. I shall place a curse of surf- suffering on you that will doom you to a living hell. The, yeah. The living hell isn't that you're a vampire. The living hell is that you are, a vampire and you can't do anything with it or about it. Yeah, exactly. In theory, yeah. like a vampire with enough smarts, which I think Mama Waldi had, could actually use his power to go out and stop the slave trade. Sure. <laughs> but I'm giving sure. you this power and then in the coffin with you, you're done. 
You're, you're now trapped for all time. Yeah. This movie is of the 70s, and uh-huh. it is of its time. And it's got some uh, language in it that I don't normally encounter in movies that we talk about on Monster Kid Radio. So in, in case listeners haven't already seen this movie and they're considering watching it, just keep in mind it's a black exploitation flick. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of uh, racial... I don't want to say racial slurs because... Is it a racial slur if you're saying it about your own race? I, I don't know. Maybe that's a conversation best had elsewhere. Uh, but you've got that and you've got some homophobia. Yeah. Homophobic slurs thrown in here as well. Which, it's so... It's so odd to me because one of the first black exploitation movies I saw ever was Shaft. <laughs> and there is a gay character in that that Shaft treats as a, an informant and, a, and an equal and has no problem whatsoever. So that kind of shaped what I thought all of black exploitation movies should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, that's not the case. <laughs> when you run into some of the language that happens in here. To be fair, Blackula never uses this language. It's usually some of the other uh, human characters, probably illustrating that sometimes hum- some humans themselves are the worst monsters. But uh, just, again, conversations probably best had elsewhere, but it is something I want to mention to anybody who's not seen the movie and just kind of acknowledge it. Yeah. And as far so, as the, the LGBTQ characters, like, mm-hmm. I think... Honestly, it seems to me like it's an issue of language because the characters themselves, nobody seems to really treat them differently. Exactly. And like when when they die, like everybody's super sad and messed up about it and like visiting their family and everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 a little that's that actually makes it more jarring that they use that language. It's it's a little weird. It is, especially for an audience now. Maybe in the seventies and I I was born in 73, so, you know, I, I don't remember having these kinds of... <laughs> I didn't have conversations like this. This movie came out before I was born, but, I'm you know, I, I'm part of Generation X, so, yes, some of that language might have been used during my childhood and, and teenage years, but today, as a modern audience member, it is jarring, like you said, and it kind of takes you out a little bit. I also wasn't aware of all the Star Trek connections in this. I, I knew about William Marshall and Elisha Cook, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't realize that so many other people on this had other involvements with Star Trek, including Dr. Thomas's character appearing in The Next Generation, and Dracula himself doing some of the voice work in uh, as Landru in the original series, which Whoa. I think is cool. Uh, so I wasn't aware of some of the Star Trek connections, and that was kind of fun to learn on this viewing. There is a character that I wish I spent more time with in this movie, though. Okay, who's that? Skillet. <laughs> oh my god, I love Skillet! Yeah, Skillet was awesome! Skillet is... Uh, that is one strange dude. One... Uh, I want to hang out with Skillet. <laughs> I think Skillet is always going to be a good time if you're with Skillet. <laughs> I want to see Skillet and Dr. Thomas go around fighting other vampires together. That's what I want to say. Oh, that and was... they always call Lieutenant Peters, you know, when they, they need something. But Skillet and Dr. Thomas are on the field doing stuff. Oh, my God, right? And Peters is always <laughs> like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing now? <laughs> That would be amazing. That's one strange dude. I'd beat him out of his cape. It's like, uh, no, don't. That's a bad idea. I mean, that's a bad idea, but it's legit. That is an awesome cape. It is an awesome cape. So when Beth started watching with me, 
Uh, she came in during a scene between Dr. Thomas and Lieutenant Peters. Mm-hmm. Blackula hadn't been on screen yet. And the first Blackula scene she saw was him coming into the club. Oh, yeah. And she just put her arms up. It's like, of course he's wearing a cape. It's like, yeah, he is. Yeah. If I had that cape, I'd wear it everywhere. Come on, man. Don't don't hate the play, baby. Hate the game. Everywhere I'd wear it. Everywhere. <laughs> it's not nearly as cool, but I've got a, a black hooded cape that uh, I put on for half of hosting Scarathon the other day here at the Joy Cinema. And it was just a cape that I had in my car from something from a few months ago. <laughs> I ran out to the car, came running back in so I can introduce a movie. And Jeff, the owner of the Joy, looks at me and says, yeah, you are the kind of guy who would have a cape in his car. Like, well, you know. Yeah. I, I wish it was Blackula style, though. That Blackula cape, that is dope. I know, right? I need a, I need a cape. Goodness. Doesn't Chris have a cape? I think Chris has a cape. Is it that cool? Cape, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, of course he's wearing that cape. His, just his dress, his costume, and I know that's something that you pay a lot of attention to. What did you think of Blackula's look? I loved Blackula's look. Again, we hearken back to the Dracula thing because he's dressed a lot like Dracula, only with like subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually loved in the initial scene with Dracula, the the suit he was wearing. Like one of the things I really, really love is mixing textures because mm-hmm. he like there was touches of velvet here and there, but it was mainly just like a suit jacket. I also really, really, really love that his shirt was always light blue. It was that robin egg blue instead of just stark white, which to me is just, I don't know why I like that so much. It's just super, super appealing. Huh. And you'll notice he also had, instead of just like a tie or something like that, he actually Uh had sort of this big, thick bow tie thing that actually looked a little like an ascot. So it was slightly old fashioned while still being kind of current with fashions. And it just looks, it looks really cool. And part of it is that definitely that outfit is who wears it. Because I think if, if some of the other actors in the movie had tried to wear that outfit, they would not have pulled it off. Yeah, Skillet wouldn't have pulled it off. Skill, um, 100% Skillet would have it, pulled it off. Actually, oh, you think so? I'm picturing it in my head right now. And he no, he totally would have pulled it off. <laughs> and you know what part of it is? Skillet was taller. Hmm. Skillet and William Marshall were both taller. And taller people look good in the capes like that. Okay. So, yeah, Skillet, Blackula, Dr. Thomas was a tall guy, but Lieutenant Peters was a short at shorty. He would not have looked good. No, he would not have, he would not have been able to pull it off. Yeah, and the, honestly, the... it actually might have something to do with skin tone. Because picturing sure. Lieutenant Peters in that robin egg blue, it would not have looked good against the skin. Which is a totally me thing to say. I'm sorry. It just, I don't no. think it will look good. I think the darker skin tone to make that, that lighter blue pop. I think you're probably right. I'm, I'm colorblind. Okay. Uh, so I don't know some of this color theory stuff and what looks good and what doesn't look good. No. But I think you're right. Uh, my colorblindness does not extend to uh, monster movies uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or Robin Egg Blue, you know, that, that, that soft blue. Yeah, that would be like- that. I think making it just a flat out white would have been too stark. Yeah. You wanted to add a little bit of color. Plus you're making a color monster movie. If you wanted a, a white shirted vampire, go watch a black and white, you know, vampire flick with a ghost or whatever. Exactly. You know, you take advantage of the fact that you're in seventies full color, baby. Exactly. But also because 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna veer into something else that I actually really want to talk about, which is the vampire makeup in this movie. That's exactly where I was gonna go with this too, because the makeup is there's a color shift when they they vamp out, except for Blackula himself. He just grows more facial hair. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of the vampires, the their skin turns into like this pasty, just sickly look. It's it's like this weird alien green color. Uh huh. And yeah, so when you're when you have super pale skin, basically, like if you're a white person who's super pale, putting the white shirt against that gives you that vampiric look and makes you look like super pale and super deathly. And with a person with a darker complexion, you're not going to get that. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, that pop of the color in the shirt. It's also, it's very contemporary. That color was just something that was popular in that time period. It, it makes him not stand out so much in a 70s context. Okay. So are you suggesting then that the vampire makeup then was a choice because of the majority of the skin tone of the characters who became vampires? Um, honestly, no, because of the makeup effects in Sugar Hill. Because Sugar okay. Hill, they used white. Um, on I've, being completely straightforward, this is AIP we're dealing with. It is possible that all they had was the green, and they're just like, use this, because this is what we have. You know, I would not be surprised if that was the case. We've mentioned Sugar Hill a, t- a couple of times. Listeners, if you haven't seen Sugar Hill, it is a phenomenal zombie movie from the 70s. It is so good. So, so good. And the vampires look... I'm sorry, the zombies in that look fantastic. And you're right, yeah, they're not that sickly green. They're they're more pale and white and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but also, I kind of feel like they were they were trying to do something distinctive with the makeup and not just make them look like any other vampire. So maybe that's where the green and his the facial hair, to me, on William Marshall, it looked mm-hmm. sort of werewolfy. It is very wolf-like. But on the very other hand, wolf-like. it is Blackula. Like you look at that and you like you could have somebody completely different put that same makeup on and you're like boom Blackula. It is super distinctive. It is. It, it's got a lot of wolf-like lupine features. The way. Uh, they shaded his face and then all the facial hair as well. The the eyebrows feeding back into his uh, sideburns is a little yeah. unnerving and unnatural looking, especially since you still have forehead showing between the eyebrows and then that amazing widow's peak they put in. Right. Uh, and then the, the scruffy patches on his cheeks, but they're not connected all the way down to his this to his uh, chin strap <laughs> part of the beard. Uh, it's it's really phenomenal and it's a great look. Yeah, it really is. He, he pulled it off. I don't know anybody else who could pull it off, to be honest. You, you say you put anybody in that makeup, you're going to say that's Blackula. I don't want to see anybody else in that makeup but William Marshall. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly couldn't pull it off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of looks in this movie I don't think I could pull off, up to and including that uh, that, that Robin A. blue shirt <laughs> and, and the, or, or anything Skillet wore. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But, He's his own thing. Yeah, yeah. I I did like the way the vampires looked. They did have that kind of, you said alien, I was saying kind of sickly. And again, it could be just that AIP had a bunch of green cream makeup or grease paint laying around. It's like, this is what you get. (laughs) This is the budget. Uh, Go for it, guys. 
I, I don't know much about who did the special effects on this. I'd be curious to learn more about him or her. Uh, let's see, makeup artist Fred B. Phillips. I wonder, that name looks a little familiar to me. Oh, he worked on Star Trek. So yeah, uh, that's why the name looks familiar to me. Uh, so yeah, of course he used green. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we had some leftover Orion slave girl makeup. Let's pull <laughs> that out and throw this on him. But even the way they had the actors act once they had become vampires, that jumping straight up and charging and screaming and their talons forward. I think Scream Blackula Scream does a better job of putting Blackula on a platform to have him wheel from one scene to another without actually seeing his legs move, which is just amazing, that kind of floating effect. They do it once in this movie. Uh, yeah. But the way the other vampires move in this, that kind of aggressive talons out attack in some cases just jumping over things to get to their victims it's pretty neat man i i know that i am a big believer in zombie movies being better when the zombies don't run if you want an undead runner you want a vampire and this movie proves it yeah running undead can work if they're vampires the one i really loved was juanita the cab driver when she comes back to life Mm -hmm. And they do it in the in the slow motion, but she's still just running and she's screaming and her hair is everywhere. And it's like half of your mind is going, oh, my God, this is so silly. And the other half is like, oh, my God, she's coming at me. <laughs> well, and the way it's shot, too, she's coming. It's not the hallway is not centered in the center of the screen. There's a little bit of an angle to it. And she's coming running down the hallway yeah. in that slow-mo. And she's so angular. The way she's bringing her legs up and her knees are bent at these angles and her hands are out and her elbows are out and her air, hair is all flaming out. It's terrifying. Yeah, it is. And loud. I had to turn it down because my stepdaughter was sleeping in the other room taking a nap. So it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, we're going to turn you down a little bit here. Juanita, cool it just a touch, please. But it's also pretty terrifying. And that's what I was trying to get at is that kind of unnatural movement, but still so fast you can barely comprehend what's happening unless the filmmakers are so kind to put it into slow-mo for us. Yeah. And, and the face-off at the end in the warehouse when we realize that the vampires have been very, very busy. As Peters puts it, it's an epidemic and tons of vampires are suddenly here and taking out the cops, basically one by one, because they do what you and I know people should never do they split the party uh exactly exactly never split the party never split the party because the vampire is going to take you out one by one in the warehouse which is hilarious because that actually reminded me of that's like that's like the plot of blade two (laughs) is is like the vampires exponential or geometrically expanding and then like taking out all the cops and the authority figures and i'm like dude that's where they got it from Black- somebody watched Blackula. <laughs> yep. And that was, well, it was a Del Toro film, so I would not be surprised if he'd seen Blackula. He strikes oh, me as yeah, somebody probably. who's seen Blackula quite a few times. Yeah, exactly. But I do like this face off at the end with just the random vampires. Sometimes in just random outfits, like the one guy in a monk's robe for some reason. Okay. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what it looked like. Who knows what it was? And there were a couple of them. There were like the female ones, a couple of the female ones that had like these weird witch robes that look like like dark versions of like dark colored versions of like hammer vampire hoe outfits. Uh-huh. 
So they were still kind of gauzy and flowy. They were just like dark and made out of burlap. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. actually kind of impressive. Yeah. No, and it looked it looked really good. I love the costuming in this. You know, some of it being contemporary, yeah. some of it trying to come up with a cool way to portray monsters that we've been looking at on screen since the 30s, you know, and, and to kind of give it yeah. its own spin and make it kind of contemporary and all that. And it was fun. I really enjoyed that too. And I, I'm going to mention it. You know, I can't talk about a movie without talking about the music. I love the score. I love that funky kind of, you know, we're, we're checking things out. The cops are on the beat, kind of funky, get down, kind of, yeah, they put this in here to sell a soundtrack album music. Uh, <laughs> Gene Page doing the what? music on this. And I loved that. And I, I love a lot of the stuff that he's done. I've actually tracked down some of his other scores over the years. I love what he did on the movie Cool Breeze, for example, even though that movie's not that great. Who was it? Uh, Gene Page. And actually, Gene Page is a woman, not a man. I, I apologize when I slipped there. But I really like Gene Page's stuff. Um, and then you've got the Hughes Corporation doing the music at the club. Mm-hmm. Which, it's a exploitation flick, man. you, you got to have those sequences. It's like watching a luchador movie and having that that song and dance number. It's just, it's just part of the deal. Exactly. You, get, but the you thing gotta is, sell an album. Most, <laughs> most of these um, black exploitation movies actually had like good music in them. So, you know, you let it pass. Yeah. Yeah. You got good music. They would oftentimes sell really, really well. Uh, you oh. know, I mentioned Shaft earlier. I mean, I, I think everybody knows Shaft. You know, that, that album did so well and is so good. And a lot of the Blackula stuff is so good. And, Three the Hard Way, and then, you know, so many of these other albums or soundtrack albums are just fantastic. So you've got all that going for it, too. The The direction is really good. The writing is really strong. I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, I, I wish I knew more about the making of this movie, and maybe that's something I can do some research on, because I would love to revisit Blackula down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe I've waited so long to talk about this one. <laughs> well, there's a lot of movies you think that about, though, so, you know, that's, that's another link. That's true. Of all the movies we've talked about here on the show with you, where's this one rank? Okay. Okay. Don't don't just gratuitously bring up my son here, okay? <laughs> Creeping Terror is in a league of its own, and you can't compare it to anything else. I'm not uh-huh. going to fall into that trap, okay? <laughs> just let me see, because we've done Fiend Without a Face. And I would say, okay, quality-wise, this was better than Fiend Without a Face, but it's still kind of not as cool as stop-motion brains. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, what else have we done? Mesa of Lost Women. This is 100% better than Mesa of Lost Women. I'm not even going to pretend otherwise. Okay, and then you mentioned Fiend Without a Face, and you, you, you did The Ghost of Hanley House with Steve when he was filling in for me. Which- Again, 100% better. Not even going to pretend. Wow. Okay. Uh, um, well, okay. The Ghost of Hanley House is not a good movie. I love it. It's not a good movie. <laughs> I openly admit that. Um, oh, we did Night of Dark Shadows. Okay. Okay. Night of Dark Shadows I like better than Black. But I think everybody kind of knew that. Yeah, I think that one's kind of a a no-brainer on that one, right? Yeah. And is that okay. all we've done? I think I think that's all we've done. I feel like we've done more. Yeah, I feel like there's been more, but because I have links to your stuff so many times on my website, doing a search on my website for your name is just bringing up stuff that you had nothing to do with. So, well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to the <laughs> magic of Blackula? 
What did you say you should be called? Dracula New Dawn? I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> that makes it sound like Dracula's sweating communist. <laughs> well, now I want to see that. I mean, that would be pretty I awesome. I want to see that yeah. movie. That sounds awesome. Um, I want to see that movie. I know. That sounds great, right? Total, like, like mm-hmm. 80s throwback. Yeah, it would be amazing. Heck yeah. Um, okay. The only thing I can think of is that don't dig up graves in heels. The scene where where Doc Thompson and Michelle dig up Bobby's grave, the, Michelle's wearing heels. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be smarter than that. I think that's the only uh, thing I really wanted to say. I will keep that in mind. If I ever dig up a grave, I won't wear heels. Cool? Yeah, don't wear heels, Derek. <laughs> I will make that promise to you and to the listeners. <laughs> okay, and there is one more thing I'd like to say, if I may. Okay. Sure. Um, in honor of this episode, you can head over to the House of Silent Graves Facebook page, mm-hmm. and my Blackula pillows that I make will be on sale for $30 instead of 30 30 instead of 35 So you can message me or email me, and all the information is on the Facebook page. And we can get more Blackula into your life, because you need more Blackula in your life. You, you need to sleep with Blackula, so buy yourself a pill. Wait a minute, that's not... I am absolutely not seeing a problem with that. Yeah, I was like, you didn't stop me. I'm surprised. Uh, no, I'm not surprised at all, actually. <laughs> Knowing Dominique as I do, I, I am not surprised one bit. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't all right, be. The, I, I shouldn't be. The House of Silent Graves. We will make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, and we'll get you taken care of over there. Make sure you check out everything that she's got on offer. The Blackula Pillows. Uh, everything else that she has, just follow Dominique. She's one of us. She's one of the good ones. She's also posting some fun stuff over the holiday, Halloween season. So please do follow her and let her know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. That would be awesome. And uh, again, she just recently appeared on the Classic Horrors podcast talking about Sugar Hill. We'll make sure there's a link to that as well. And yeah, this has been awesome. I, I wish I had more time to just kind of hang out and chat and catch up with Dominique because it's been way too long but having a time zone between us since she went and moved makes it difficult I know I'm such a brat huge thanks to Mark Kenny and Dominique for being part of this week's show thank you you for being part of the show as well by listening to the show by downloading the show and hopefully letting people know about the show by retweeting tweets and sharing posts on Facebook and on Twitter or I guess it's X now. You know, we've got a Reddit and a Discord, a Patreon. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. You can find us online, and you can find links to all of that over at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're also going to find our contact information, like our email address, monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can even call and leave us a voicemail at area code 360-524-2484. Feel free to call and leave us a message about this episode or anything you've heard on a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'll play you on a future episode of the podcast. Speaking of the future, next week is week two of Nosferatu November, and we're going to be talking with another old friend of the show. Tom Gerganis is going to come back to the show, and we're going to be talking about a movie that he picked, a movie that I've shown repeatedly in the Monster Kid Movie Club, which is our Twitch stream. It's a movie called Slaughter of the Vampires, also known as Curse of the Blood Ghouls. It's from 1962, and we're going to be doing that one next week. And I can tell you the week after that, Beth is coming back to the show. 
I'm finally going to watch a vampire Hammer film with her. We're going to watch the first vampire film from Hammer, Horror of Dracula, or known as Dracula if you were in the UK and you were feeling fancy. Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing coming up later this month on the show. Man, it's it's a good time to be a vampire fan and a fan of Monster Kid Radio, I feel like. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to everything we've talked about here on the show, including Dominique's Facebook page and that post where she's starting to make the Blackula pillow available for sale right now, where you get to save five bucks on the normal price. It's a cool looking pillow, man. I'll make sure there's a link to her Facebook page for that. Also, there are Amazon affiliate links to everything we've talked about here. And the three movies that we're covering here on the show, if they're available to buy on DVD or Blu-ray, there's Amazon links for that as well. Please consider shopping through the Amazon affiliate links, not just for these movies, but for anything that you buy on Amazon. Because when you do that, you take a couple of pennies out of Jeff Bezos's pocket and put it into mine. And believe you me, every little bit helps when it comes to keeping Monster Kid Radio running. And doing it that way, you don't spend anything extra. You know, it's just shopping at Amazon as normal. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for being here. It means a lot. Please check us out on YouTube as well. Subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio YouTube channel. And if you're over on YouTube, please check out the Team Death YouTube channel. Team Death is team, and then Death is D-E-T-H. We've got some videos that we've posted there of Beth and I checking out some local home haunts this past October. That was a lot of fun. We're also going to be posting some new things online including a new installment of Monster Kid Writer, where I talk about my journey as an author. I'm going to be talking about how I wrote a novel in 30 days and or 30 years. That'll be coming up here as well on the YouTube channel, and I'd appreciate it if you checked that out. Also, I mentioned Twitch earlier, twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. I'm playing movies there all the time these days. I feel like I'm putting together new loops about once a week. And when I say a loop, I mean like a brick of like anywhere from 10 to 15 hours of monster movies. Right now I'm running the Halloween stream over there where I'm showing all the movies that we played on Halloween day. It was a lot of fun to do that for everybody. And I hope you have a chance to go check out those movies. It's free to watch movies on Twitch. So please check that out as well. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC, all original content of Monster Kid Radio. By Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Vampire Wipeout, Nosferatu Returns. That is copyright 2023, Jay Poison and the Bat People. You can pick it up on their new album, Night of the Bat People, which you can find at jpoisonandthebatpeople.bandcamp.com. Com, or follow the link in the show notes. Just make sure you let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.